KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. We're listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat, Pinachas, Kaf Tammuz. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel, and I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell. In line with uh, what we discussed uh, last week about the differences between B'nai Israel, the new generation, and B'nai Israel, the old generation. So I think once again we have to ask ourselves the question, what, what is the difference in Parshiot Balak Pinchas? In other words, when we're talking about what happened by Baal Peor and the Shittim, here we have B'nai Israel succumbing not only to but also Avodah Zarah at the same time. So two, two of the three big sins, here they are. They are partaking in both of those Averot, which if previously we compared the, the complaints of the new generation to the complaints of the old generation, this would be then a throwback to Cheta Egel. Cheta Egel was of course the big sin which got the ball, ball rolling downhill till Chet Amaraglim. So here too, if we scratch our heads and ask ourselves, this is the generation that's going back, so we're, li- we're left with a little bit of disappointment because here's a people who are taking care of, who are, you know, t- partaking in Abu Dazarah and Gilu Yariot. So, if we discussed the issue of Kehal Hashem last week, B'nai Israel knowing that God is in their presence, well, this doesn't stand out as an example of B'nai Israel knowing that. We spoke about time going by, and there's a new generation that's forgotten Mitzrayim. Well, this doesn't seem to be relevant because Abadazar and Gilead have nothing to do with their attachment to Mitzrayim. I mean, perhaps it has something to do with an attachment to Mitzrayim, but it doesn't seem to have any mention. B'nai Israel, hundreds of years later, in Eretz Israel, in the time of the Shoftim, will also be over Abadazar and not seem to have any relation to whatever took place in Mitzrayim hundreds of years earlier. So the last parameter that we discussed, as far as the differences, are B'nai Yisrael growing up and developing a independence from Moshe, an ability to act on their own. Now if we look at Chet Egel, so we could talk about Shevet Levi acting there to end, uh, to make a decisive decision to put an end to that sin. But it was not independent of Moshe. It was at Moshe's behest. Moshe says, Mila Hashem Eli, B'nai Levi come, and then he tells them what to do. And then they go out and kill. And Pinchas' action 
in contrast, is not a mass killing of 3,000 people. Pinchas is an, an individual, and he goes after the ringleaders. However, and here's what is significant, it's an action which is independent of Moshe. Pinchas is described very clearly as of his own volition deciding to take decisive action and putting an end to the Nasi from Shimon and the princess from Midian who were without any shame doing what they were doing in front of everybody. And and this is this is something that it's in, in line because we can talk about Pinchas, a leader of the next generation, taking responsibility and taking an action. And Halacha also even says that someone who asks permission or asks what to do in this situation, we don't tell him what to do. This has to be an action which is completely an independent action. And that's what Pinchas does. In that sense, we can say online what we said the previous week, that B'nai Yisrael might continue to sin, but B'nai Yisrael also have a way of solving their own problems. They have leaders, besides Moshe Rabbeinu, who can take decisive action and correct whatever terrible sin has happened. As we said, we're not claiming that the new generation is sinless. We're not compl- we are not claiming that they are perfect, but they have gotten moved somewhere beyond the previous generation. And in this instance, it's that there are new leaders and there's new people who are able to take initiative besides Moshe Rabbeinu because they're going to need that because they're going to be without Moshe Rabbeinu when they go into Eretz Yisrael. As in this week's Parsha, we also choose Yehoshua as the next leader of B'nai Yisrael. With the time that remains, I just want to briefly address something that's going on now here in Eretz Yisrael, and that is the the march for Gilad Shalit. And I want to make three points. Point number one is that nobody, I certainly don't, question the actions of the Shalit family, who one cannot think of a more difficult situation in which their son is in captive is a captive in captivity of the Hamas in the Gaza Strip and as a parent it's obvious that one would take any step and any measure to free their son That being told, we have to look at things not from the viewpoint of the parent. We have to look at things from the viewpoint of the nation. 
And here I want to discuss uh, two points. One is that uh, Ravi Sorel Rosen, a resident here of Alon Shvut, who's the head of the Tzomet Institute here in Alon Shvut that discusses science and halacha issues, they put out in their last book called Tchumin. So Ravi Sorel Rosen published on this matter of the halacha that many quote of Ein Podim Shuim Yoter Al We are not permitted halachically to redeem someone in captivity more than their worth. That being said, as a result of the fact that this will merely, if we pay out ransoms that are too high, this will just encourage people to, whoever these bad people who are taking us into captivity, to take a, take more and more people into captivity. And of course, we know the famous story of the Maharami Rutenberg, one of the great Rishonim and Ashkenaz, who in fact instructed his community when he was taken into captivity not to try to pay any ransoms, and he died in captivity. <clears throat> what Rosen claims is that this statement of the Mishnah, which seems to be very relevant in, in this circumstance, is not relevant as a halachic ruling. Because, he says, that in podim shuim yoter al we're not allowed to pay a ransom and redeem captives more than what they are worth, is a monetary halacha. It's talking about how we manage the treasury, the budget, of a tzibur, of a community. And it's talking about a purely monetary issue. You do not have the right as the community leaders to start paying to emptying out the coffers of the community to pay for this person's ransom. And therefore, he concludes, and those who want to see the details can look at Chumin. This is not relevant in the issue of Gilad Shalit. Gilad Shalit is a security issue, and that's for the government to decide. They're not paying money. They are paying in a different way, in a prisoner swap, and that is not governed by the statement of the Mishnah, and therefore the government has a free hand, it's not limited by halacha, to decide what is the right thing to do on a security level. That being said, I want to move to point number two, which is that typically in the press, they like to put two teams here against each other. They like to put the Shalit family who are interested in a prisoner swap at any price. That being said, it's important to note that the Shalit family has also been very upset at the Israeli government for removing the restrictions on the Gaza Strip. There's no room in their opinion to remove any restrictions on the Gaza Strip of imports, all their son is rotting there. 
in captivity. So the Shalit family would be very happy for the Israeli government not to have to do a prisoner swap and to put pressure on the Hamas in other ways. But nonetheless, they would also would be would would like to see a prisoner swap take place so they could have their son back. And they've been pitted against the Mishpachot Shakulot, the families who have lost loved ones by terrorist by terrorist activities. And the claim has been presented in the following manner that the Shalit family would like their son who's alive to become home and live again. And the other people want to see the murderers of their relatives rot in prison for the rest of their lives and never see the light of day again. When the claim is presented in that way, so then we're talking about a group of people who want to see their son, who's alive, live again normally. And a group of people who've already lost their children want to see justice met out against the terrorists who took their children away. And then we're saying, what, you're going to use your sense of justice and vindication and keep that guy in prison? And then the argument is very easy for one side to win because justice and vindication don't stand up to a living person who could be let go and live life again. However, I believe that's an incorrect view of the argument. One who presents the argument in that way is trying to make people miss the point. The point is not that the terrorists should rot in prison. The point is that the terrorists who have killed will in all likelihood kill again. Statistics show numbers of people who have been killed by terrorists who have been released in prisoner swaps. And that's the point. And here is the, the fear, and this must be said clearly, and people have to take this decision on this level, is that if terrorists with blood on their hands are released for Gilad Shalit, Gilad Shalit will get his life back, and someone else will lose it. Someone might say, Gilad Shalit will for sure get his life back, Vadai. Someone else might lose their life. We have a halacha clause that Ein Musafek Motsimi De Vadai, when you have a doubt and you have something that's a certainty, so you go with the certainty, and Gilad Shalit will certainly live if he's released, and someone might die. I don't necess- I don't subscribe to that presentation of the ideas. I think Gilad Shalit will get his life back in a prisoner swap, and somebody else will die with certainty. These people will go back to terrorist activity. They claim that they will. History shows that they will. And then the, the uncertainty that remains is not, will someone die, but who is that person who will die? And it's important for us to understand 
this is the decision we're making. We're releasing someone from prison, and I think we're giving a death, death sentence to somebody else. And that has to be clear to one who's making a decision here, whether that price is, be, is the price that's a worthwhile price. something for us to think about as we just began the three weeks and this is happening here in current events just to sum up that Pinchas going back to where we started is someone who through a violent action an unpeaceful action is given a breach shalom sometimes what seems to be peaceful actions are ultimately actions that lead to great unrest and violence. As Chazal say, Misha Merachem al Achzarim Sofo Litachzer al Rachmanim, he who is merciful towards cruel people will at the end be cruel to peace to merciful people. And here, Pinchas, on the flip side, who was mitachzer, someone who was cruel in his action, Pinchas did a very violent action, and God says to this, shalom. I will give him a covenant of peace. Sometimes the less pleasant action, the more violent action, and this is something that we have to take into account and know what we're talking about, Sometimes that ultimately leads to a more peaceful solution. Something to think about, food for thought, for Parashat Pinchas. Shabbat Shalom.